This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Halloween, still a few weeks away. Doesn't matter because capitalism has the stores filled with costumes and candy already. I'm not saying I haven't bought some of that candy and eaten it over the sink like a rat, but nonetheless. You're also seeing pumpkins popping up at outdoor vendors in the grocery stores as well. Most doorsteps are going to have your traditional orange pumpkin, but there's a growing number of pumpkins that are painted blue. What do those blue pumpkins represent? Rebecca Dingwell Dingwell is a journalist who can tell you a little bit more about the significance of the blue pumpkin campaign. Hey, good morning, Rebecca. Hi. So Rebecca, what is behind the blue pumpkin and blue bucket campaign? Yeah, so it's interesting. It's one of those things where I, when I researched it, I couldn't find a definite origin for it. My theory is that it was maybe either started by or inspired by the organization Autism Speaks because they have the whole light up blue campaign that they do every year. Um, and I suspect maybe they started it or perhaps a parent was inspired by that. Um, so the blue pumpkin on the doorstep indicates that I think either that there is an autistic child living in that home or it's a quote-unquote autism-friendly household um, that if they're handing out candy to your kid, they're going to be understanding if the kid maybe doesn't speak, isn't wearing a costume, etc. So I think that that's the idea. Um, the blue bucket, conversely, is something that an autistic child might carry around while they go trick-or-treating to sort of flag that um, maybe they are are nonverbal or if they don't uh, present it a way that you think a kid should present on, on Halloween, uh, that might be a reason as to why. It seems as though there's more organizations and initiatives that are considering the Halloween experience of children, but also of people giving out candy as well. So blue pumpkins aren't the only uh, different colored pumpkins people might find in their neighborhood. There's also folks who are popping out uh, teal pumpkins. So what are some of the different significances here that uh, might lead to some confusion? Yeah, so this is one of a few problems potentially with the Blue Pumpkin campaign, and that is the, the teal pumpkins, which, if I'm not mistaken, um, may have actually come first. But the teal pumpkin signifies that um, a child might have a severe allergy. Um, so that's the idea. But teal and blue... <laughs> are, uh, you know, they're very close together. A teal might be a little bit more green-leaning, if you will, but especially in the dark um, on Halloween night, you're probably not going to be able to to tell the difference. Mm. So that's where some confusion and some potential problems might come up. Rebecca, I think from the pumpkin perspective, I can really get where that's a valuable, valuable thing to let people know, hey, we're trying to be an inclusive household here. We want your kid to come enjoy Halloween with us. 
But what are some of the issues maybe on the bucket side of this? And hey, listen, I'm willing to let you push back on me and even saying that maybe the blue pumpkin or the teal pumpkins at the house themselves are also not a good thing. Yeah, so it's complicated. I I definitely can understand the instinct to maybe buy a, a blue pumpkin for yourself or, or for your child, because if it's probably exhausting if you feel like you have to explain yourself to people while you're just trying to take your kid on this rite of passage and take them out trick-or-treating. But I think this kind of ties back to what we spoke about um, earlier this month when I was talking about kids' right to privacy. And effectively, even though I know this isn't the uh, intention, effectively what you're doing is you're putting a big neon sign on, on your kids saying, I am autistic. And that's not really fair to them when they haven't necessarily agreed to disclose that. And further, um, I, I don't think that especially strangers are entitled to that information. And um, I think this might make me sound like I'm somebody who listens to too many true crime podcasts, but I think one could argue um, about the doorstep pumpkin that you, you might be flagging to uh, maybe not so nice people that there is potentially a, a vulnerable child in this household. So mm. um, if you think about it that way, then that could also be problematic. That might be a bit of a stretch, but it's just something to consider when um, you're, you're thinking about these things and maybe um, thinking about uh, taking advantage of these campaigns. A friend of mine, uh, Stephanie Swinburne, runs a company in Montreal called Kiddo Active Therapy, which serves uh, the needs of families and children who are neurodivergent or on the spectrum. And she had this great post on Facebook a couple of years ago, just talking about good behaviors that we can have as adults to make kids feel more included on Halloween. And I ended up sharing it. And then one of my friends wrote back, now he's a little bit of a troll, but every now and then he finds a kernel of truth. He wrote back, you know, Dave, there's a much simpler way to put this, which just says, how about we just don't judge children? How about if a kid doesn't say trick or treat, we just don't yell at kids for being kids? And I think, Rebecca, that's what this boils down to. We want people to be better, but sometimes you've got to give them a little bit of this coaching and understanding, but it's also pretty unfair to put the onus of self-identification on a child when all you want people to do is not judge children. Yeah, exactly. And I, I kind of put it in a way that is maybe a, a little bit harsher, but it's sort of like, mind your business. <laughs> like, like, if, um, if, you know, if you want to participate in Halloween by giving out candy, then give out candy and be nice to the kids or, you know, potentially older folks, you know, um, don't judge, just give out candy. And if you don't want to participate, turn your porch light off or go out for the night. It's really that simple. Um, and we could maybe put all this energy that we're putting into um, educating people about these pumpkin campaigns and sort of switch it up and maybe instead educate people about, okay, here are the reasons why uh, a kid might not be wearing a costume. An older kid might be at your door. The, the, a kid may not speak. Um, and just kind of put that out in the world and remind people to be kind instead of kind of doing this whole colored pumpkin thing, which I feel like kind of like how you said it at the start of the segment, I feel like it's also kind of a um, an avenue of capitalism, like an, another thing you, you maybe have to buy <laughs> when it's 
just it's just not really necessary. Yeah, just one more piece of plastic, one more piece of plastic. Uh, Rebecca, there are organizations, uh, there's one based in Ontario called Treat Accessibly, which offers a lot of insight on little things you can do to make the Halloween experience more inclusive for people. Uh, some, some things are sensory friendly, saying, hey, you don't have huge ghosts and ghouls that pop out of the grass as kids are walking up the pathway. In some cases, they think about wheelchair accessibility, uh, so they might say, hey, if you have a driveway, put your table to hand out candy at the end of the driveway, don't put stairs in between. What are some of the things that come to mind for you about making Halloween perhaps a little bit more inclusive for people, uh, for children who are supposed to enjoy the day? Yeah, I think it's hard because there are there are sometimes conflicting access needs and there are so many potential things to consider. Um, and I think that it's a balance you want to you probably want to decorate a little bit you want it to be fun but um yeah just maybe keep in mind that there you don't need to turn the scary music up full blast perhaps or you know you uh you might want to temper some of your more uh <laughs> more ghostly elements maybe for later in the night where perhaps there are some some older kids who are a little who have a little bit more experience with the whole halloween thing um so it, it's hard i i personally um last year was my first year giving out halloween candy in a long time because i've i've lived in apartments all my adult life um, and we decided to do full size chocolate bars. So that's how oh, I yeah. that's oh, how yeah. I decided to make, that's how I decided to make um, a Halloween special for us in our household. And I, I think or it did get around the neighborhood, so we're going to have to buy more. <laughs> we're going to have to make sure we have more this year. What's, what's your general vibe on Halloween? I, I, I waver a little bit. I'm not the biggest costume person in the world, but I do like sugar. Yeah, so I I love Halloween. I feel like it, it, you know when you get older, the magic does um, fade a little bit. But I love the fall, and it was there was just something I don't know. There was something that was really magical to me about handing out candy um, last year, especially not having done it in a long time, and and you know kids walking away and say, excited like I got a big animal bar like. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's just, it's really cute. And yeah, I like to, even if I don't like fully dress up, it can be nice to have an excuse to wear black lipstick or, um, you know, an on theme dress or jumpsuit, or whatever. Um, it's just, it's supposed to be fun. And I think that's what we need to remember uh, about it. Um, how can we make it fun for ourselves and how can we make sure it, it's fun for other people and that as much people as possible? And that might, you know, what you can do about that might vary from household to household, but it's just something to think about as you, you know, prepare for, for the day or prepare for the night. I do like it when people dress up their pets. My friend in Seattle a couple of years ago uh, wore a cow costume and she had a white and black uh, Great Dane. So they were a bunch of cows together handing out candy out the front on the front door. Or my friend wrapped up their pug in uh, aluminum foil. So their pug was a baked potato for Halloween. So I liked that one too. Yeah, um, yeah, the the pet thing is really cute. I don't know, um, our, you know, our, our dog who, who passed away earlier this year, he didn't really tolerate, um, he didn't tolerate much, especially not on the costume front, but um, I'm kind of <laughs> curious. We had, we got our dog this year, a themed scarf, our new dog, but um, who who knows, maybe maybe down the road we'll see. Um, <laughs> I, I like, I, I have a Greyhound, so I, I like seeing people often dress them up as like Greyhound buses. Oh my gosh. Um, so <laughs> that's a good one. 
but um, if, if I think of something, if I think of something more original, then I'll, I'll totally do it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna check in with you next time we talk about this one, where that evolution goes. Rebecca, thank you for this. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Yeah, you too. That's Rebecca Dingwell, a journalist based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Coming up after the break, Alex Smythe has a question for the roundtable. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? I think it happens to me more often than I'd like to express. So we'll see what kind of honesty and vulnerability I'm willing to share after the break on Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.